0: is the third um, series I mean the third message in our new series called the pursuit ancient wisdom and modern living in the whole series we are taking the wisdom of what God calls the wisest man in the world secular society says that he was one of the most successful men in the world one of the most powerful men in the world that he did things that you and I can't even really imagine once we look back and we see and he was he had acquired wealth and he built entire nations and he just did things on just a, a almost a a, a unhuman level of what he accomplished in life. And this man, Solomon, um, had a very unique thing about him. It's his hunger and his desire for wisdom. And it said that he wrote countless books about wisdom and about um, about life. And and, and the three most powerful of those books wound up in the Bible. God wrote them through the man of Solomon, and those are Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and the Song of Solomon. And today, um, in the last few weeks and a few weeks from now, we're going to be going through this book of Proverbs. And we're going to be looking at all of this just immaculate wisdom. And we, we've gone through um, just some awesome things so far. And today we're getting to one of those things. And, and the reason I preceded the message with a little of a warning is because when I'm about to say what we're going to be talking about, um, there is you know, a lot of you are going to be like, well, this isn't, this isn't very spiritual. This is a little too practical. This is surely this isn't what. And that is this. It's ancient wisdom about Planning. Planning. I know a lot of you don't know what that is, all right? Planning. You guys ready for some deep spirituality this morning? Do you know that of all of the things that Solomon wrote about in the book of Proverbs, take a guess at what the tide for first, the number one thing he wrote about? Planning. Planning is a massive, massive thing to Solomon. He writes about it over and over and over and over and over again. Planning is something that we all do, whether we realize it or not. Planning is simply this. Planning is simply the thoughts that precede your actions. Planning is the thoughts that precede your actions. When you woke up this morning, you thought to yourself, either consciously or subconsciously, hopefully you thought a few of these things. I'm going to get up this morning. I'm going to brush my teeth. Anybody forget to do that? You woke up out of bed, I'm gonna brush my teeth, I'm gonna take a shower, I'm gonna get clean. Hopefully you guys did that. I'm gonna maybe fix my hair. I can see some of you guys didn't do that. I'm gonna dress and you know, clothes are gonna match. A lot of you didn't do that. I very rarely do that well. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten up, I've, I've done the brushing the teeth and I've taken a shower and I've gotten dressed and I wet Courtney up. I'm like, okay, bye, babe, I'm gonna leave. And she rolls over, takes one look at me and just rolls back over and goes, change your shirt. <laughs> That doesn't go with your shoes or your jeans, it's ugly, throw it away. Because when you wake up, every action that you have, it preceded a thought and so you plan. A lot of you plan and you don't even realize you're planning. You plan to do evil, you plan to do good, you plan to work, you plan to do this, you plan to go on vacation, you plan, there's so many plans that you have in life and it's one of the things that Solomon says over and over and over again that the, there are many, many are the plans in the mind of a man. He says it multiple times throughout scripture and so what you have to understand about planning is that whether you think that it's spiritual or not or you really want to talk about it much this morning or not, planning is a huge part of your life for the good or the bad. Planning is a massive part of your life every single day for the good or for the bad. Planning exists because it's the thoughts that precede all of your actions. Now, what Solomon is talking about is not necessarily just planning, but what Solomon is talking about is wise planning. How does a wise man plan his steps? How does a wise man plan his life? How does a wise man plan his marriage? How does a wise man and a wise woman plan their finances? How does a wise person live and plan their life out? It's massive for Solomon. There was something I realized when I was about 20 years old, and I know that I really wish I would have realized it sooner. Some of you probably think that I really haven't realized this, but when I was about 20 years old, I realized that I was pretty stupid. I did. I realized that I just didn't, there was so much uh, that I didn't know about life. I just went through this kind of this, this, this spiritual time in my life, and I realized I just wasn't half as cool as I thought I was, and I just wasn't, there was just so much, and half of you are going, you're still not half as cool as you think you are, but it's okay. But I'm 20 years old, I'm going through this thing, and I, I started to look around at my life, and I realized something about my life. I always was about one step behind, at least that's the way I felt. I always felt like I was just trying to catch up. I always felt like I was really good at digging little holes in life, and little financial holes, or little relationship holes, or little church holes, or little you know God uh, holes. I just would dig, and I would always feel like I was working so hard, and there was so much stress, and there was so much wasted time, and I always felt like I was just trying to crawl out of a little hole. I always felt like I I was my entire life was like the, Friday, the Thursday before the last Friday exam in college and you're just cramming Friday, you know, Thursday night knowing that you've had this huge exam. That's what my life felt like for so many years. And I became so accustomed to that um, that it just kind of became a way of life for me. That, that The way that I planned, I was very hasty. I was very quick motive. There was a lot of things in my life. And I realized that I was 20 years old and I was not, had not done much, but I was constantly spinning my wheels. And I was constantly busy. And I was constantly doing things, yet nothing ever felt like it got accomplished. And I don't know if you ever felt like that, but I felt like that. And I met a man um, in my first semester of college who recognized this very quickly in my life, and he called me out on it in a pretty amazing way in front of about 27 other students, and it was a really great day for me personally. And, and I went and talked to him afterwards, and he said something along the lines of this right here, and he started talking about planning. And he actually opened up the book of Proverbs, and we spent about an hour going through different things, and he made this statement to me. He said, he said, Jordan, I want you to understand something. He goes, I want you to understand that you are a hard worker. I want you to understand that you've got a lot of drive. I want you to understand. He went through some other good things to make me feel good about myself before he utterly destroyed my confidence. But he, he said, "He says, but what you don't understand is that you are working so hard in your life. And because you will spend the next 50 years working so hard in your life, you are never going to be able to work on your life. And you will never become the person God wants you to be. I want to say that again. He said, you will work so hard in your life because of a lack of planning, because of a lack of of organization, because of a lack of some of these things. He says, you're going to work so hard in your life, always trying to catch up, always trying to make up, always trying to, you know, get out of the hole you dig yourself. He said, you're going to spend your whole life working in your life, and you're never going to start working on your life, and you will never become the person that God wants you to be. I have never ever forgot these words. And I can honestly tell you that was one of those moments in life where my life took a great turn. Because I began to believe and I began to understand this statement. I began to look at my life and see that most of my time was spent working in my life and I had not ever worked on my life. And so as much as I would work or as much as I would go and as much as my wheels would spin or as much as as time would go by and I would feel so busy, yet I would accomplish almost nothing. And Solomon says that's what wise planning will allow you to do. Wise planning will allow you to stop working so much in your life and start working on your life so that you can one day become the person that God wants you to be and accomplish the things that God wants you to be so you don't spend your entire life two feet in a hole digging yourself out consistently and constantly throughout life. Solomon makes so many different points about planning. He starts off with this one right here. It's incredibly important. The plans of the heart belong to a man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be Established. He said the plans of the heart belong to a man, and God's sovereignty and God's amazing. Um, desire for our lives. He's giving us free will. He's given us the ability to make plans. And we have so many plans. We have plans where we want to go to school. We have plans who we want to be friends with. We have plans who we want to marry. We have plans what we want to do with our life. We have plans what we want our hobbies to be. We have plans about, about where we want to go on vacation. We have plans about all sorts of different things. In fact, most of the time you spend your Sunday morning sitting in here not listening to me and planning out the rest of your day, week, in life right? Nobody, lie to me. Please lie to me. No, Jordan, we listen to every word you say. Last week you talked about Jesus and and the Bible, and it was good. No, but we think and we plan. That's all we really do is we have these thoughts and we plan. And the Bible warns us about these thoughts and warns us about these plans. And, and they're constantly no. But here's what Solomon says. He says, you as a man, you as a woman, you as a person, you are filled with plans. You are filled with ideas. You are filled with desires. You are filled. And whether you call it planning or you don't, you plan your way. You make plans about your day. You make plans about, and he says, we have tons of plans. He says, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. Some of your, some of your translations will just say, but the, an- the right answer or the answer of truth, the answer of reality is from the Lord. What they're saying is, is that you have many, 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 many plans, and you have many, many, many desires. And you have, you, have, you have so many things you want to do and so many things you want to accomplish. And Solomon says, that's because you're a human. That's because you're a man. And God's given you that. But the right plan, the right answer is from the tongue of the Lord and only from the tongue of the Lord. So you have the ability to have plans, but you don't really have the ability apart from the Lord to know what the right plan is. And so a lot of you accomplish so much in your life day to day to day to day, but it doesn't mean that you're accomplishing the right plan for your life. There's a lot of us that have jobs, and we have careers, and we have businesses, and we're in relationships, and we're handling our finances, and we've got a plan, and we're going it, and we're doing it, and we're going, but it doesn't mean that we ever one time hit the right plan, or we ever one time hit the right thing. We never one time have the right answer. We have tons of information, but we don't find the right way to go, and he says, this is because it is from the Lord. He says, all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. We talked about this a little bit last week, Remember when I said nobody makes wrong decisions, and like 10 of you took the time to email me and explain to me the wrong decisions that you made, and you were like, I knew this was a wrong decision. (laughs) I wanted to email everyone back and go, then you're a fool. You don't, when you go to make a decision, and you make that decision, when you plan your way, you may have an idea that this might not be wise. But every way, and here's how I know that you're, you're wrong, because the Bible says all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes. When you wake up in the morning and you start dating somebody or you start going to your job or you start choosing your career or you choose your college or you go, all your ways are pure in your own eyes. And this will be the greatest deceit in your life is that you actually believe and you think that all of your ways and all of your desires and all of your things are pure and right and holy in the way of God. And they just aren't. And what Solomon is saying is if you are not careful... You will plan your life, and you will go in directions that you should not go, thinking the whole time that your way is pure. And what you will use God as is a hope that God will come and bless your wrong plans. That's what it says. It says, you don't really care much about what the right plan is. You think that your own plan is the right way. You think that your boyfriend is the boyfriend you're supposed to have. The girlfriend is the girlfriend that you're supposed to have. The job is a job that you're supposed to have. And God doesn't get a say in the beginning of your plan. But what you want God to do is come and then bless the relationship that you should never be in in the first place. And you want God to come and bless the job in the workplace of a job that you should never have in the first place. And you want God to come bless a marriage that's somebody that you should have never married in the first place. And you get this in your heart and you get this in your mind and then we actually have the gall in the middle of this stupid, stupid process. I mean, if you can't even say stupid, what do you think you actually are? Pretty stupid. We get in the middle of this stupid process and we have the gall and the guts to be mad at God for not blessing the plans that we had. I cannot believe God won't won't bless this relationship. I mean, we're definitely sinning every day of our life. We're having a very sexual relationship outside of the context of marriage. God just won't bless us. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I'm totally mishandling my finances. I'm buying things that I can't afford, and God just won't seem to bless me. I don't get it. I don't get it. I just make decisions very hastily. I never ask for any counsel or any advice, and everything goes wrong. I just don't understand. It's because you think in your heart, and I don't want to make you angry, and I don't want to make you mad, but it's just the pattern of humanity. We are so arrogant in our hearts that we actually think that we are so wise, and we are so right. And what Solomon is saying is that you have so many plans. Wisdom would tell you that not all of them are right. Surely not all of the ideas, if you knew the things that ran through my mind, you would fire me tomorrow. I'm ridiculously not intelligent. The way that I think about things, I I jump from one thing to the other. Surely you would look in your life and you would look in your heart and you would know that at least some of the plans, at least some of the ideas in my heart and in my life that I want to accomplish, surely some of them are wrong. But no, he says that we as humanity, we as people, we believe that the purity of our hearts and the purity of our minds, that every plan we come up with, everything we want to do, every person we want to date, every person we want to marry, every job we want to take, everything that we want to do, we think that it is right and that is the right way and then we expect God to bless it. And Solomon says, you are absolutely wrong. This is foolishness, not wisdom. And he says, so this is what you need to do. You need to commit your work. To the Lord, and your plans will be established. That word "commit" is absolutely huge. It literally just means roll upon, roll on top of. The way you see this word used the most in the Hebrew language is when they would build these giant temples, or they would build these huge buildings, and they would have these massive rocks that no human could pick up—not even two or three humans could pick up. And so what they would do is they would design these things to where they could roll that rock up on something. Then they could hook that something to either a row of 16 men pulling on a rope or on some cattle or on some oxen. And then they would have the ability to do it. It was the idea of taking the rock and rolling upon somebody that had the ability to carry the burden and the weight of the rock. And so what Solomon's saying is what you need to do is you need to roll your plans and roll your work and roll that up on God because your life is ridiculously important and the relationships that you're in are incredibly important and your finances are incredibly important and what you choose to do with your life, with your job, with your career are incredibly important. And we don't have the ability, we don't have the wisdom, we don't have that natural ability to decide what is right and what is wrong. And so he says, commit it to the Lord, commit all the work of your hands, commit everything that you do, commit it to the Lord, roll it up on the Lord, and then the Lord will establish your plans. That means it will take the plans and they will become reality. This is huge. And I'm telling you right now, the only way to truly commit or to roll your work or to roll your desire or to roll your plans up on the back of Almighty God is through prayer. I can't tell you how many times in my life I have made major decisions without praying and regretted it on day one. And I can't tell you how many times I truly committed the work of my hands to God in prayer and the plans were established. I think if you look around at this building, it might not be much to you, but I think to those of us that were here in the beginning when this was a grocery store and a mighty dollar that we took, we had much of nothing, and this happened. We committed every ounce of it to prayer. We didn't have the money to build it. We didn't have the money to do it. Your leader was me, so you knew you were screwed from the get-go. All right, we had no, none of us had ever really done this before. We had no clue, but we knew how to pray. And we committed every step to the Lord. And there were things that, the greatest things that happened were things we did not plan to happen. Every single thing, every dime that came in and every building, you could not create or you could not imagine or write down the great things that God did in the course of building this building or buying this building. And as we move into this next project, the same thing, we're gonna roll it up upon the Lord because we don't have the ability We don't have the ability to carry the burden of our own life. And Solomon says the wisest man in the world, the most successful man in the world, the wealthiest man in the world, the wisest man in the world who did things that we cannot truly imagine says before you do anything and everything, commit it, roll it upon the back of Lord God Almighty, and he will establish the steps in your life and a lot of the pain that you go through, and a lot of the the junk that you deal with, and a lot of the headaches and the stress and the frustration, it's because you constantly run your mouth, and you constantly make decisions, and you constantly date and take this job and take that job, and you commit nothing to the Lord, and you do it all thinking in your mind, the purity of my decision is whole. And Solomon says, don't. Take one step without committing it to the Lord. It is massive and it is huge. Before every sermon I ever preach... Usually the Monday or the Tuesday before, I will get down. No matter how much preparation I've put in or how much planning i put into the sermon, I will every Monday and Tuesday, I will bow down usually in this room right here and I will commit the message to God. And I will say, if I've got anything wrong, if I'm going the wrong direction, if I need to change it, if I need to quit this series, I commit it to God, I give it to God, because I know that I don't have the ability within myself to teach you anything of value except that the Spirit of God take it and take control of it and teach you. And there is a lot of things in your life you're dealing with right now because you have not committed it to the Lord. And I encourage you, I beg you, commit it to the Lord. The second thing Solomon says, he says, plans are established by seeking advice. So if you wage war, obtain guidance. He goes on to say this, plans fell for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed Solomon says, listen, I'm the wisest man in the world, and I am telling you right now, you need as many counselors and advisors around you as you can possibly have in this life. He said, the plans that you have will fail for lack of counsel and for lack of advice. The plans that you have about your marriage, the plans that you have about your finances, the plans that you have about your job and your purpose, all of this Choosing where you go to school, choosing what you major in, all of this, all of these are plans. And he says, get counsel. If you, he says, if you wage war, get guidance. If you're going to date somebody, get guidance. If you're going to get married, get guidance. If you're going to start a weight loss program, get guidance. Doesn't matter. No matter what you do, he says, if you're going to do it, get counsel and get guidance because the plans will fail for lack of this. I'm going to tell you something. It's, a, it's an amazing feat to have a person who truly believes that they don't know anything. Do you realize that when you were born, not a single person in here was born knowing the language that you speak? Raise your hand if you were. If you came out going, what's up, dog? <laughs> you came out crying like a little baby, hopefully. Everything that you know in this life, you were taught. You did not have, there was no. There was not a spontaneous, innate knowledge that just showed up in your heart and just showed up in your life that nobody taught. Everything that you know, good and bad, you were taught that thing. Every game you know how to play, someone taught it to you. Everything that you do in this life, someone taught it to you. So if you can grasp that fact... Why is it so difficult for us sometimes to seek advice and to seek counsel about some of the biggest things in our life? Why do we think if we did not know anything when we were born and everything that we do know, we know because it was taught to us. Why, when we start to make life-altering decisions or we start to choose relationships or we start to choose jobs and careers, why do we do this without uh, getting the guidance and the advice from holy and godly people around us? I've never really understood that, even about my own life. I've looked at some of the things that I've decided to do, and I'm like, why did I think that I was capable of making any type of good plan or wise plan or smart plan without going to someone who actually knew what they were talking about? That's kind of the negative part. Of it. The, the positive part of it is, is amazing. I'm going to share a quick story with you I really love. I've been waiting for a long time to share the story because I really enjoy the story. It's about shark fishing. About three years ago, we went to uh, Holden Beach with Courtney's family, and when they go to the beach, they literally just go to the beach. They sit on the beach, and they watch the waves for hours and hours, and all week. They sit on the beach, and they watch the waves. If anybody in this room has met me for more than seven seconds, you are well aware that me sitting anywhere for minutes watching something is an impossibility. So me being the wise man that I am, recognized before we left for the trip that that was gonna be what was gonna happen and that there's no way on planet Earth I was gonna do it, so I brought myself some fishing gear. Now, i fished here and there, but I've never really been a I fished from the coast at that point in time. I had never really done it. I didn't know anything about it. And on the first day there, I met this guy. He was a really cool guy. He was actually a worship pastor in, uh, in Virginia. And he had been there. He had been coming there every t- two weeks, every summer for eight years with his wife and with, and with their family. And he had, been, and he had fished out here, and he had a couple rods, and he had all these cool things. And, and I started talking to him. And I said, you know, what, you know, you know tell me. You know, you're he said, well, we've caught this, and we've caught that. And, and he says, you catch a lot of these fish, and that. And I said, listen, I want to catch something huge. Because you also know, if you've only known me for more than seven seconds, you know that like if someone's like, well, the normal thing is this, and I want to go catch this. All right? And, and I said, well, you know, he says, well, I've never really caught anything like that. out here. I've never really caught. And I said, well, let's catch a shark. And he said, well, I've never really caught a shark. He said, I, I mean, I, I can't catch these sharks. And I was like, I want to catch a big shark. And he was like, well, I don't, you know, I don't know that they're out there. I've never caught any. I've never seen anybody catch any. So I was like, okay, listen, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down to the, the bait and tackle shop right down the street across the bridge from Holden. I went down. I told the guy, I said, listen, man, I want to catch big sharks. And he kind of looked at me like I was an idiot. And I said, I, I want to catch big sharks, not little sharks. I want to catch big sharks, at least three to five feet. I mean, that's, we'll start there. I, that's the type of sharks that I want to catch. And he said, well, he said, well, let me see your gear. And I brought all my little Walmart gear into him. <laughs> And he said, he said, well, buddy, you're not going to catch anything with that. And I said, all right, well, you just tell me what I need. You tell me what I need to get, and I'll get it. And you show me how to do it and I'll do it. I, I promise you. I want it. I said, you do that. I went and I broke my Walmart rod that I paid $17.99 for and I put it in the trash can and I walked over there and he said, you want this rod here and he explained to me about this rod and why this rod and, and, the, and all the little things that I really couldn't tell you about right now. And, and he says, and here's why you need this reel and this reel is this good and this is the line you need. And, and he goes through all these things and we get down to the rig, all the way down to the rig and the bait. And he says, he says here, I'm going to tell you, and this is what he said, I'm going to give you the best advice you'll ever get when you're fishing for bigger fish from the coast especially sharks. He said 99% of the people, what they do is they get, they get the bait and, and they'll, they'll stick the hook through the eye of the fish. It doesn't feel any pain. It's already been murdered. It's fine. Stick the hook through the fish of the eye and then you throw it out in the ocean and they wait. And he said, now here's a lot of people don't understand about sharks. It doesn't matter how big the shark is or how small the bait is. That shark is going to attempt to come up behind the bait and to bite the fish right off and leave the head in the water. This is what sharks do. He said they're going to try to do that to the best of their ability. He says so what that creates, when you have the hook up at the front, is you'll have the fish on and you'll feel it and it'll jerk your rod down and you'll pull and in about three seconds you'll lose the fish. And what you'll get nine times out of ten when you reel it back in is just a hook with a head on it. He said, that's what's going to happen over and over and over and over again, unless you make any said it like it was something he invented. He said it was something like, like it was like this deep inner, like shark hunter knowledge. And he was like, what you need is the stinger. I was like, dude, what's a stinger? Get me the stinger. And so he shows me how to make this rig and it's just a hook. And all it is, and you think, all it is, is is a metal line connected to a treble hook that you put in the back of the fish. So, you got a hook on the front and you got the treble hook on the back. And he said, I promise you, every shark you catch, you will catch on that hook. And he was right. I put it out there. And the other thing he said was the line, make sure the line, a bunch of other junk. But he, I went out there and he says, You want to walk out. You want to walk out about neck length where the sharks are. And you want to throw, <laughs> holding the bait, and you want to throw the bait out. Now, listen, when I first got out there, I was pumped. I hadn't seen any sharks yet. And I'm like jogging in the water, like bay watching it out. I get as far out as I can go and I throw it out and it lands. And and I promise you in 45 minutes I had my first shark on the beach. An old buddy from Virginia was, wow, man, how did you, how did you do that? And then it was really cool because, like, the first, when I first caught that, dude, I'm telling you right now, my pride, everybody was crowding around. The beach was, like, packed. All the parents were bringing their kids, and they were like, look at this shark. I want to touch the shark. And I was going to kill it and eat it. And then the one little girl was like, you're not going to hurt the shark, are you? And so, like, I had to put it back in the water until she was gone, and then I had to get back. And, uh, and, and so it was just this really cool thing. And then, and then about an hour later, I caught another one. And it was still kind of cool. But people were kind of going, huh, two sharks, okay. And then and I caught another one about an hour later. I caught three sharks. And it was coming in. And then by that time, it stopped being cool. And then this one woman comes up to me and goes, hey, man, you want to quit throwing your bait in there? You're attracting the sharks. And I was just like, listen, lady, I'm not, my, they're not there because I'm throwing my bait in there. I'm throwing my bait in there because they're already there. And, I, and she goes, like, well, how far did you go out? Like a couple hundred yards? And I was like, "Nah, about 25. And all of a sudden, by the fourth shark, there was nobody near us gone. Just me and my buddy that I met from Virginia and Courtney and Emily going, where'd all the people go? There's a video. This is really cool. I told you I've been waiting a long time to tell this story. There was a video of me kind of doing the shark and there's a line going through the water and there's these two kids on floats out in the waves and you can literally hear them taking in what's actually happening. He goes, Hey, he's got something big. That's cool. Wonder where it is. And they start looking out. Hey, there it is. Hey, that's a shark. And then they run, and that happened to be the big one, the, 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 the about five and a half feet. It was really cool catching that one. And so I got that one. I got it back, and I remember talking to my buddy, the guy from Virginia, and he was just like, he was going on and on and on, and this is true story. I couldn't make this up. And he was just, man, I've never been down here. I've never, I've never, I caught this. I've been down here for two weeks, and I just told him, I said, dude, here's everything this guy, I said, everything I'm doing. He was like, you must have been doing this a long time. I was like, about four hours. And I said, but... I've got the counsel and the advice of somebody that's been doing it for 30 years, all right? And and so I went out and I did this, and I taught him everything I know. This was his last day there, and he left, and he didn't catch any sharks. This is no lie. Two weeks ago, he sent me a picture when he went back to Holden of him holding his first big shark and that rig, the stinger, and all this stuff, and it was so, I mean, it was so cool me and him will ever be bonded together, Yeah. (laughs) I can't remember his name or i would tell you, but it was just really cool. And so here's, what, here's, here's the, the point of the story is that I had no idea what I was doing, but I was incredibly successful at it for that two, three-day period because I sought the counsel and the advice of somebody who knew what the heck they were talking about. And I, and, and, and it, I cannot express to you, as Solomon goes through Proverbs, he talks about the rewards for seeking counsel and seeking advice. And these are just the, the, the sum of it all right here. Counselors and advisors will save you time and money, prevent stress and frustration, and lead to more success faster every single time. There will never be a time when you go into a new venture or you're building a house or you're selling a car or you're, whatever the plans are that you have to do after you've committed them to the Lord in prayer, truly committed them, seek the advice and the counsel of everyone, of everybody. Have many advisors and many counselors around you. And then you have an arsenal of information to choose from. And then when you make your plans and you go about and you work, you know what to buy. That was the biggest thing is I had, I had spent money on stuff that did not matter. And I had, I had spent time rigging up rigs that wouldn't work and I was about to spend three days doing the last thing I wanted to do, sitting on the beach, staring at the waves, because I wouldn't have caught anything, because I had the wrong stuff. Seeking the advice and the counsel of wise men and wise women in your life about the things that matter in your life will save you so much time, which I, in my opinion, is one of the most valuable things in life that we have, so much money, which is also pretty valuable, prevent stress and frustration and lead to more success faster. Now nobody is in this room reads that and goes, I ain't getting no advice. Because right now you're going, dude, saving time and money sounds good. Not having stress and frustration sounds good. More success faster sounds good. It sounds like a commercial. And you're in But the next time you have something, I want you to remember this. I want you to know. I want you, the next time you're doing, I want, if I seek the advice and the counsel of others, I am now armed with the information I need to plan wisely and to succeed in all the work of my hands. This is the wisest man in the world telling you, get counsel and get advice. And he shows this all through the course. If you read 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and 1 Chronicles, and 2 Chronicles, and you go through the life of Solomon, and you see his life, there are countless times where he sought the advice of prophets. He sought the advice of people who were experts over different things. He sought the advice of his father and his father's writings. He sought the advice of the Scripture and God and the Word. I believe that a part of Solomon's wisdom and a part of his success, a huge part of it, was because he understood the one thing every wise man knows is that you don't know everything and that there is somebody who does, and you can capture that information and take advantage of it in your life. It's massive on every level imaginable. Solomon goes on to say this. A wise man makes a glad father, but a foolish son is a sorrow to his mother. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Hold on to that word diligent. Go on to the next. The plans of the diligent lead to profit, as surely as haste leads to poverty. I want to talk about haste first and then finish out with diligence. Haste is the greatest curse of my personal life. I am, I don't know, the idiot that will jump first, go farther without looking, make the decision, I get to decide and I just go, 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 go as hard as I can, harder hard as I can and sometimes it pans out and a lot of times it doesn't. All right, Haste is a very dangerous thing in your life and you may not be as hasty as I have been in my life, I pray to God that you haven't been, but haste. It's basically just making decisions quickly before you plan. It doesn't matter if it's three months, but you never planned, you still hastily made a decision. Or in my case, 17 seconds from the time the thought hit your mind, you just did it hastily without planning. Literally, everybody's heard this, and I know you're going to be like, I heard that. Listen, if you are not planning, if you are not Getting guidance. If you are not seeking wisdom, if you are not committing things to the Lord, you're failing to plan. And if you're failing to plan, then you are planning to fail. And that's what Solomon's saying right there. He just says if you do, if you're a person who goes through life making decisions especially a Christian who goes through life making decisions without committing things to the Lord and seeking the counsel and the advice of people and planning well and planning with wisdom. He said, you're planning on failing. It's a truth that we need to capture. If we are not planning, then we are actually planning to not succeed in the different areas of our life. Write that down, hold on to it, because I don't want to talk about it anymore. The next thing he talks about is diligence. Diligence is simply this. Diligence is deciding to be determined. That's all diligence is. Deciding to be determined. This is huge. This is probably the second biggest thing we will talk about this morning and second biggest thing, that, and it comes to planning and through the Proverbs, he over and over and over again, he talks about this word diligence. Diligence does not mean you're strong Diligence does not mean you're wealthy. Diligence does not mean you are intelligent. Diligence does not mean that you are better. Diligence does not mean, diligence just means that you have decided in your heart and decided in your life that you will be determined to succeed and to go where God says go. We have this myth, and I think that a part of this myth exists because of things like the prosperity gospel, I think that a part of this myth uh, exists because of the way that Americans just kind of view things now. But we think in our heart and we think in our mind that if things are difficult, then it's wrong. If things are difficult, things should be easy. Things should be one, two, three. Things should be there should not be a lot of work involved, and and there should not be a lot of stress involved. There should not be. It's just, and if if it's not, then and Christians think the same thing. If it's hard, then something's wrong. It's not from the Lord. If my marriage is really difficult, then I probably shouldn't have married this person. I need to get a divorce because God would not put me in a marriage that is hard and difficult. If my job's difficult, if it's not easy, if it's hard, then I don't want to do it. It must not be from the Lord. I've got to find something that's easy. I've got to find something that, 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 that's just that you don't, need, you, don't need a lot of, you don't need a lot of diligence. You don't, it's, just, it's easy to get to. We have this idea where we want a lot of victories, but we don't want to fight for our victories. And here's the thing that you need to understand about God. And you need to understand about life. And you need to understand about school and jobs and work and marriages. If it is worth having, it will not be easy to acquire. All right? And God Almighty, in his power and his amazing love for us, he promises you victory in this life. But he has never one time promised that victory without fighting. From day one. From day one, when God was making the people of Israel roll out of Egypt, and from day one, it was difficult. And he even warned them. I talked about it this weekend with the kids. We warned them from day one, I'm going to take you this way. Because if I take you this way, there's no way for you to come back when you change your mind and want to come back. Because God knew when it gets difficult, when it gets hard, it's going to be the human's natural decision to quit and to go back to where it was comfortable or to go back to where it was easy or to go back to where it wasn't hard. And there's a lot of you, and a lot of times in my life, diligence is going to be the one thing that keeps you from succeeding in this life. Diligence is going to be the one thing that keeps you from becoming who God's called you to be. Diligence is going to be the one thing that keeps you from experiencing the victories that God has in your life. Diligence is just the decision to be determined. It means that you put one foot in front of the other. And even if you fall, you get back up and you keep going. And when the marriage gets hard, you don't give up. You're diligent about it. You seek counsel about it. You just don't quit. You have that attitude. This is the diligent. No matter what happens, I will not quit. No matter what comes against me, I will not quit. No matter what the economy does, I am not going to quit. I'm going to keep going. I'm determined. I am determined. I am determined. I am determined. I will not stop. Nothing will come against me. Because if you have that mentality in your heart that you're going to quit or you're going to stop every time things get hard, you will do nothing in this life. You will do nothing in this life. You will experience nothing from God in this life. James even tells us in God's immaculate wisdom that sometimes he allows things to get extra difficult simply to teach us to trust him more than we do. It expands our faith. And those that don't have diligence, those are going to be the ones that when they get close to the end of this life, they're going to be filled with regret. Determination is diligence. And diligence will precede every victory you have in this life. Because God calls you to do great things. Everybody talks about, you know, they talk about the imag- you know, God in the, in the Old Testament. He, You know, he fought the battles for them. You know, and he did this and he did that. You know, take Jericho, for example. God definitely fought the battle for them. But do you think it was easy for the people of Israel to show up to march around for seven days straight doing all the things that they did? There was a plan in place, and they didn't give up. Do you think that on day one, when, Taylor, you going to come over. Do you think on day one, when they started, and God said, I'm gonna take you to the promised land? I mean, do you think that they realized in their heart and their mind that it was gonna be 40 years of the hardest they've ever experienced? But God said, I've gotta take you through the desert to get you to the promised land. I've gotta take you through the battle to get you the victory. And maybe it's just my generation or the generation before me, or I don't know when it changed in America that easy is always right, but I'm gonna tell you right now, I think that the condition our country is getting in is because we're afraid of the hard things. We're afraid to get up and work. We're afraid to get up and go. We're afraid to get up and do. We're afraid to fight. Anything in your life worth having I can promise you there'll be a battle for it. Sometimes it's God teaching you a lesson and sometimes it's the enemy knowing you're on your way to experiencing the victory of God and he's going to come in and he's going to attack and he's going to come. You are promised victory, but you're not promised victory without a fight. So be diligent in your marriage. Be diligent in your finances. Be diligent with your children. Be diligent in your calling. Be diligent in your purpose because it is not always going to be easy. But if you put one foot in front of the other, you will experience victory. Diligence always precedes victory. The last thing Solomon says, and by far the most important thing that he says that you need to understand this morning, and if you've heard anything, or you hadn't been listening, or you've dozed off, or you wake up, and I want you to listen to me right here, right now. This is what Solomon says. Many are the plans in the mind of a man but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Many are the plans and the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. This is so magnificently huge to your life, especially to those who follow Christ, because I think that we are under the impression sometimes that things are just going to fall into place. I think that we're in the impression that if it was in my heart, if the plan was in my mind, then God put it there and it's time to go and everything will work out and everything will be great. It's kind of like we were talking about earlier. We just do anything we want to do and we expect God to come in and then bless it even if it was the wrong decision. And Solomon, this is one of Solomon's greatest warnings in all of Proverbs. He says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man. You have so many things you want to do. You have so many things you want to accomplish. You have so many directions you want to go. But it's the purpose of the Lord that will stand at the end. I'll tell you a story. It's happened. I had, a, I had this great analogy for this point. I was excited about it until God opened up the door to something far more better than what I had planned. This weekend, uh, we got to hang out with the kids. The teenagers, the students, the future—and it was amazing. We left on Wednesday and we went to the mountains, and we we did some kayaking and we had some uh, some, some hiking and we, we did a lot of fun things and we had sessions in the morning and the evening and spiritually it was just amazing and like and you know and you think man like those kids were lucky that they did that no man I, we were lucky man the leaders we were lucky just to experience the move of God that we had up there and to see these amazing kids and one of the things that we did. Uh, Friday mornings, we went hiking in this this mountain up in the Smoky Mountains. It's the Chimney Rock, I think it was called Chimney Rock Trails. And we get up here, and, and it was just like the whole time we knew, kind of coming up here, that it was going to be a difficult, a difficult walk. It was going to be a difficult hike. And when we read the signs, we saw the height of the mountain. There were some of the girls were already planning on not making it. And um, we, you know, we get here, and it was just it was just one of those things where we we knew this hike. You know, but one, before we go, Ryan Smith made the statement. We're standing there in the, at the vans, and, and there, not everybody, there was some of the morons like me that were just already running <sighs> up the mountains, but some of them, were, they were there, especially when they saw how long the hike was going to be, you know, but Ryan Smith said something. He said, I promise you guys, it's worth it. He said, I promise you when you get to the top, it's worth it. The view is worth it, and so we, we started, we started to walk, and we started to go, and and me just being me, we got about, I don't know, 10 feet and we got to the creek and the trail goes this way, you know, up, and I saw the creek and I was like, you know what? I'm going to hop this creek. I'm going to climb the rocks all the way to the, all the way to the top. And so I just ventured off. I didn't tell Marsha because she wouldn't have let me go, but I just walked off And I just started going up the creek and I've done this so many times. I I like going to like South Mountain and different things because there's that boring, normal little trail that goes to the waterfall or you you can climb the rocks in the creek and go up there and that's what I want to do. It occurred to me far too late that the trail didn't go to a waterfall. The trail went to the top of the mountain and that I was on the creek heading to literally God knows where. And it was one of those moments where you're just like, now I'm the leader or a leader on this trip and I'm headed in probably the wrong direction. And I looked to my left where the trail was supposed to be and it was gone. And I looked to my right and there was a cliff and and I kept walking and I started, every time I thought I saw something to the right, I would just kind of venture off to the side. And I didn't tell anybody this because it worked out. But I, w- I would go off to the side, and I would try to get, and I started climbing up this hill, and the, it was so thick, you know, those mountain bushes that are basically like, I don't know, like, like God's defense against creatures, I don't understand. I couldn't make three feet into it. Like, forget fences, just plant these things around your yard. And I'm trying to get up, and I found myself literally, like, kind of stuck in these bushes and I hit what was a stone, and I realized that the trail was nowhere near me, so I went back to the creek, and I kind of kept going, and I kept thinking, okay, one of two things are going to happen. One, this creek is going to intersect with the trail, which is what I was really hoping and praying, and it did, thank God, because I'm, I'm here, not dead and gone. And, or I'm going to have, if it doesn't, I'm going to have to waste all my time, I have to go all the way back down the creek, get back on the trail, and then catch back up to everybody. And so now I'm kind of, I'm not quite panicking yet, but I'm just kind of forging my own way up here. And I kept trying to go right. I kept trying to go right. And I never saw the trail. I never saw the trail. I never saw the trail. I later found out that the trail was way up above me. And at one point, finally, I come to a bridge where the trail intersects and I got very, very lucky. And I, I jumped back on the trail and then I ran to the top and acted like I meant to do the whole thing. And like, and it was just one of those things. And so my point is this: my point is is that, that there was somebody who spent a lot of time forging a very nice trail up to the top of this mountain, and they had put a lot of work into it. I mean, they had, they had they had when I experienced this on the way back down because I missed it on the way up. On the way there was there was a lot of very nice stairs they had put in place. And you think in your mind, I know a lot of the kids did. These stairs are horrible. They're from Satan. But the truth is, is that those stairs, if they weren't there, it would have been 10 times harder to make it up. I don't know if you've ever tried to climb straight up. It's impossible because there's gravity and like you can't make it. So these stairs make it possible for you to get up there. And I realized that there was all these tools laying around. People had spent a lot of time making this trail and keeping the trail up to get you to the top so that you could see the view and but a lot of times, like, like in life, there's always those guys that say, like, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go do my own thing. I'm going to go this way. I'm going to go this. And what we do in life, that's what we do. God spends a lot of time making us a beautiful trail, making us something that we can, bridges we can cross and, and stairs that we can make up. And, and we do all these things. And sometimes it's even difficult. It is. I mean, it was even difficult with the trail, but he makes a perfect way to get you up to see the view that he wants you to see. And see, here's the sad truth. If I would have kept going up that creek, if it had not intersected, I would have seen something. Maybe it was a bear that ripped my face off. Maybe it was the bottom of the lake that I fell into and drowned. Maybe it was nothing. Maybe it was just the wilderness and you never saw me again. But eventually, if I kept going, I would have seen something. All right, right? I would have seen something. But I would not have seen anything compared to the view that we saw that day on top of that mountain. Nothing. And here's what I want you to understand about your life. God has created the perfect view for your life. God knows what he wants your life to look like. He knows what he wants your marriage to look like. He knows what he wants your finances and he knows what he wants, all the practical things. He knows what your purpose is. He knows what you want. He knows what in 50 years from now, he knows the beautiful, magnificent view of your life. He knows that. He understands that because he created that. That is his purpose and it will stand. And all you've got to do is get on the trail that he creates for you Be diligent, put one foot in front of the other, and keep going until you get that view. But what we think about life, and what we think about planning, and what we think about the way, we think that we can just forge our own way through the mountain. We can just go any direction we want to go in life, and eventually we'll hit the top. And that is just hopeless thinking. That is hopeless thinking. And what I want you to understand about what Solomon, the point that he's trying to make about planning and about wisdom and about this life, because Solomon had a healthy respect for life. He realized that you only have one. And he realized that once one day is gone, you can't go back and redo it. He realized that you only have so many breaths to breathe. And so this was his main point. Right? Wise planning allows you to experience the view that God created for you, not to create another view. That's what Solomon says about wise planning and what a lot of us have done with our life. We have spent years forging our own trail, forging our own path, going in our own direction, and we are attempting to create a view that is different from the one God wants to create for us. And what you have to understand about this trail that you're on, about this path that you're on, is that no matter how long or how hard or how even diligent you are on the wrong way, you will never see the view that God has planned for you. If you do things your own way, if you do things out of the context of God's wisdom, if you do things out of the will of God and you live your life because you're an American, because you're free, because you're alive, and all the other things that give us this flawed thinking that we can create the life that we want to live, you will miss out on the greatest things in your life. You will miss out on the marriage that God has planned for you. You will miss out on the purpose that God has planned for you. You will miss out on the calling that God has planned for you. You will be busy, and you will be trucking it, and you will be going somewhere, and you will be seeing something, but it will not be what God wanted you to see. It will not be the life that God wanted you to live. And that's what Solomon's point is. He says, wise planning, committing things to the God, Committing things to the Lord, putting things in prayer, being diligent, seeking the advice, seeking the counsel, staying in the Word, this is going to allow you to experience the reality that God has planned for you, because His purposes will stand. And I've used this analogy this weekend, and it's just something that that it's just really, it just rings true to me so many times in my life. God had every desire in the world for that entire first generation of people of Israel in the Old Testament to make it to the promised land. He had every desire in the world. He said, this is what I want for your life. I want you to be in the promised land. This is what I have planned for you in your life. Now go the direction that I want you to go and live the life that I want you to live and over and over and over again through the course of 40 years, they continue to try to forge their own way. And they tried to live life their own way. And they tried to do things their own way. They tried to go all the ways they wanted to go and do all the things they wanted to do. And they backed away from God over and over and over again. And finally, God said, have it your way. Every single one of them, except just a few, died right there in the desert and never experienced the victories and the promises and the view that God had for them. And that is probably my greatest fear in life is to go through the years, to go through the the life, to go through my marriage, to go through these things and be busy and be on my own trail, doing my own thing and not experience the victory and the life and the reality that God has planned for me. I just want to go to this last picture right here. This was where we were. I mean, like, it's just breathtaking to me. Do you think that I saw anything half as beautiful as that? on my little creek trip, no, and here's what I want you to hang on to. You will never be able to experience the beauty of your marriage the way that God wants you to experience. If you do not handle your marriage with the wisdom of God, it will be impossible. I don't care how rich you get. Proverbs and over it if, if if wealth is what you love, guess what? You'll never have enough. Doesn't matter. But in your finances, if you do not handle them the way that God wants to handle them, you will never see contentment, satisfaction, joy, and happiness within your finances, with your kids, in your relationships, through every area of your life. If you do not go the way that God wants you to go, commit the work of your hands to the Lord, you will experience something. And see, there's some of you right now in your life, if you just took two seconds to think back over the last 30 years, you know that you've experienced a lot of something. But you also know, if you're honest with yourself, you haven't really experienced a lot of what the Lord had planned for you. There's a lot of you, you know, you know that what the Lord has planned is 10 times better than the way you're living right now. And so this whole series is not about what we've done in the past. It's not about the foolishness of the past. It's not about the mistakes of the past. It's about doing things different from this day forward. And so if you're, if you're in debt and you're on your way or you're starting your second marriage or you're going this way, you're going that way, forget about yesterday and commit your future to the Lord. And Solomon says if you can do this, you'll experience some of the greatest views that God has for you. I think that when we commit things to God, that we plan wholly with wisdom and we seek the guidance and we're diligent about it, I think that we will experience things that we cannot imagine. I think as a church, we will experience things that we cannot imagine. And this is what I want for my people. This is what I want for my family. This is what I want for you. I want us to all wind up at the top together, enjoying the view that God spends so long to create for us. if You guys will stand with me. I pray, Lord God, right now that you just let your spirit rest in this house, God. I know, Lord, that there's all kinds of people going through all kinds of different things. Sometimes uh, there's some people going through some good stages in their life. There's some people going through some bad stages in their life, Lord God. I pray, Lord, right now that you just let your spirit rest in their hearts and rest in their minds, God. And I pray, Father, as we're about to sing this song about abandonment, we're about to sing this song about surrender, about turning our life over to you, Father. I pray, Lord God, that every single person in this room, no matter who they were when they showed up this morning, God, no matter what plans they had when they showed up this morning, God, no matter what direction they're going when they showed up this morning, Lord, I pray, Father, that you will let us see and understand. That you have something so great for us, something so amazing for us, and that if we, were, if we were to go our own direction and do our own thing, it would be nothing compared to what you have planned. I pray, Lord, that you just allow us to surrender to you this morning, Father. And I pray, God, that we begin to live our life with wisdom, that we begin to live our life with planning, Father God, that we understand that you have a view that you have a reality, that you have a beautiful purpose for our life, and that is the purpose that will stand. I pray, God, that you will give us the wisdom and the ability and the diligence, Father God, to get in line with your plan and plan our life out according to your will, that we will enter into relationships and we will enter into jobs and we will enter into our careers and businesses. I pray, Lord God, that we will enter into these things, committing them wholly to you, planning to do things your way so that we can get where you want us to go in this lifetime. And I pray, Father God, I pray one prayer for every single person in this room, whether it's their finances or it's their marriage or it's relationships or it's their calling or purpose or job or career. I pray, Lord, that all of them, in every way imaginable, commit them to you so that they can reach the victory in their life. And I pray, God, that you will, in whatever way you can, in whatever way you need to, that you will shift and change our lives, Father God, so that none of us die in the desert. I pray, Lord God, right now that you let your spirit be with us as we worship God. Just comfort us and let us know that you are with us every step of the way. You're holy in your precious name.